But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. From the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. See it once, and you'll never forget it. George C. Scott ascends into the bottom of the screen, backed by a single American flag, and he begins what is, in my mind, in my opinion, the single greatest cinematic soliloquy in movie history, as he channels General George S. Patton. And while I can't quote all of it, well, I can quote all of it, I just can't quote it here because of little ears but I can quote some of it to you today. Men, all this stuff you've heard about America not wanting to fight, wanting to stay out of the war, is a lot of horse dung. Americans traditionally love to fight. All real Americans love the sting of battle. When you were kids, you all admired the champion marble shooter, the fastest runner, the big league ball players, the toughest boxers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Americans play to win all the time. Now, I wouldn't give a hoot in hell for a man who lost and laughed. That's why Americans have never lost and will never lose a war, because the very thought of losing is hateful to Americans. The, the irony of this opening scene is that it was released in theaters in 1970, right in the midst of a Vietnam War that wasn't going particularly well. Richard Nixon, the historians tell us, saw the movie not once, but twice in the White House Theater and was inspired by this scene to expand the war into neutral Cambodia. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger later wrote of Nixon, when he was pressed to the wall, his romantic streak surfaced and he would see himself as a beleaguered military commander in the tradition of Patton. This is the experience of a leader who is inspired not by real life, but by a synthetic experience. One which alters the comprehension of reality. One which actually replaces reality. We know this, of course. Fictional works shape our experiences. They inform our view of the world. They often build in us a confidence, maybe even a patriotism, that wouldn't otherwise be there. The myth becomes the reality. And in this case, simple and virtuous patriotism, and I want you to hear that this morning. You know, some of you will say, Father Nelson spoke against patriotism this morning. I didn't. Patriotism is virtuous. But in this case, simple and virtuous patriotism morphs into the exaltation of victory and success and strength to the utter neglect of the power of weakness. There is no doubt that Nixon was unable to integrate his own weakness evidenced by raising his hands in defiance even on the day of his, resurrection, of his resignation in disgrace. <laughs> that was solid gold. Okay, wow. Resignation. Only a, only a Republican would say that Nixon was resurrected. Okay. And, and of course, he is not alone. An American president must appear strong, in control, even and especially while losing. The truth is that the makers of Patton and making a caricature of an admired and heroic general were making a parody of American life. 
of a nation that has not reckoned with her deepest weaknesses, the injustices she has perpetuated, the crimes she has committed, the wars she has unjustly undertaken. The only way to continue this myth, this, this synthetic perception, is to ignore these things and create this synthetic myth in which the troubling parts fall away. Christian teaching has had an element of encouraging Christians to work for the flourishing of the nation, honoring earthly rulers, praying for the emperor, even having a sense of love for one's country. Those are good things. The trouble comes when the nation is nothing more than a stand-in for the kingdom of God. And this, brothers and sisters, is apostasy. We stand in danger of forgetting that God will judge a rebellious nation. The God we serve is a God who allows a rebellious nation to be taken into exile. Consider this morning the prophet Ezekiel called to go to the people of Israel in exile in Babylon. He is not sent to a foreign nation, a people of a speech that is strange to him, but to his own people, a people who will not be willing to listen. Ezekiel even says, if I was sent to a people who spoke my language, they, who didn't speak my language, they would listen to me. But those who speak his language will not listen. And by all accounts, this was the truth. Of all that had been taken into exile, very few returned. Some say as little as 10%. After only a short time, less than 60 years, most of the exiles are unwilling to return. Such is the nature of their rebellion. Ezekiel is told to speak the word of the Lord to these exiles, whether they hear or refuse to hear. And when he goes, he sits among his own people by the Kabar Canal and is overwhelmed for seven days. He's devastated. He's appalled. He's horrified. We need to understand that sometimes it is patriotic to be devastated, to be appalled, to be horrified by the state of one's nation. If you and I believe that the only patriotism worth having is a patriotism which speaks well of the nation, and not that which stands devastated, appalled, and horrified, we are missing entirely one of the key features of Holy Scripture, one of the key features of the Gospel, that of the proclamation of the coming rule of God proclamation of coming judgment. If we put faith in the might of the nation, but less faith in the might of God, we are in error. If we put our hopes in the nation's flourishing and not in God alone, we are surely astray in idolatry. And if we love the nation more than the will of God for it, we are in rebellion. And often in history, it has been the task of Christians to declare their nation apostate, to ask not for her repentance or renewal, but for her judgment, to pray for justice. This morning, I desire, however, to return to this Pauline emphasis upon weakness. It seems that for many decades, Christians have believed that political power is the best hope for bringing a nation to repentance and renewal. We have loved our homeland, but have grown confused and dissolute. Christian witness has suffered. 
We are even told today by many, especially liberal Protestants, that the ascended ideologies of secularism must become our ideologies. Worse, that they must be joined to Christian teaching. And brothers and sisters, this is part of this synthetic myth that some combination of American idealism and Christian teaching is not only best, but what God wants. That some combination of strength and power and the Gospel is best. This morning I want to suggest, however, one simple idea, which is this. That weakness is the way. That weakness is more compelling than power. I'm reminded of J.R.R. Tolkien who spoke of the church's prolonged conflict with the world as the long defeat. A battle that at once seems impossible, but is because it is powered by divine grace and not by human might. Noble, virtuous, and full of hope. Some of you at this very moment are confused. You're confused because you think that the success of the church looks like political power. The problem is that it most often has looked like the cross. Ugandan boys who died as martyrs being burned alive rather than submit to the raw sexual abuse of their king. Father Maximilian Kolbe offering his life on behalf of another prisoner at Auschwitz and spending three weeks starving to death before his Nazi captors finally injected him with poison. It was he who said the most deadly poison is indifference. He could not be indifferent toward the fate of his nation because he knew that it was apostate. He could not be indifferent to the, to the fate of his nation because he was not indifferent to the kingdom of God. And Christians have always believed that earthly power has limits, that there are loyalties which transcend those granted to the state and to the nation. And it was this which led Dietrich Bonhoeffer to work for the defeat of his own nation. Even as he said this, God is weak and powerless in the world. And that is exactly the way, the only way, in which he is with us and helps us. Can you even imagine a Christian preacher today preaching such a message that God is weak and powerless in the world and that is exactly the way, the only way, in which he is with us and helps us? A few years ago, I got to go up into the chapel at St. Stephen's house in Oxford where Bonhoeffer prayed the night before he returned to his beloved homeland. He knew that he would die. And so he kept vigil in this simple little chapel on the fourth floor out in the suburb just to pray. Knowing that he would die. I stand before you today thoroughly convinced that there is no greater task today than to prepare ourselves to prepare our children to suffer for and at the hands of our own nation. To take on weakness so that the power and grace of Jesus Christ may be made manifest among us. We might be able to avoid this 
but we might also not. We must reconcile ourselves to the truth that love for our own country and for our own people and love for our nation, consistent with love for God, will lead to insult, hardship, persecution, and calamity. Look for a moment, if you doubt these words, at Jesus today in the Gospel reading. He is able to do no mighty work in Nazareth because of the utter unbelief, the stiff rebellion of His own people, a people who knew Him, a people who know Him, and a people who are literally offended by Him. I don't know if you can come up with a greater text for the 4th of July than that. A people who know Him and who are offended by Him. Beloved, let me tell you, unless you've missed it, and if you have missed it, then I just need to say, pay attention. Apostolic Christianity, founded upon the clear witness of Holy Scripture, is offensive to the world around us. It is utterly incompatible with the left, and it is utterly incompatible with the right. It is not aligned with Republican politics or Democratic politics. It is not shown forth by an American flag any more than a paper bag hanging on a pole. It is not shown forth by political power, but it is shown forth by the weakness and wisdom of the cross. The very sign by which Christ Himself overcame the world, and the very sign by which Christians have conquered by their defeat. Friends, I have really come to believe this, that the most powerful witness we can make in America today is one of holy perseverance in the faith once delivered to the saints, even as we become strange, even as we become seen by our neighbors as utterly insane. I can't help but think of the words of Antony of Egypt who once said, a time is coming when men will go mad. And when they see someone who is not mad, they will attack him, saying, you are mad, you are not like us. Antony, you'll remember, turned his back on the world, left his family in Egypt, and fought with Satan almost nightly in his cave. And he made an enduring witness so powerful that it was several decades later when a certain young man named Augustine heard his story told by a Christian who visited his posh country villa outside Milan. And after hearing this story, he turned to his friend Alypius, feeling finally like he was the real mad one. And he said, what is wrong with us? He was so disillusioned, so driven crazy, driven insane by the pursuit of worldly friendship, friendship with the world, friendship with important people, friendship with the emperor. And he was utterly disenchanted with the prevailing notions in high society of what human life was all about. And he came to know through this story of St. Antony that his striving after friendship with the world was utterly futile. 
And I said, we can become friends of God today. That's the the truth. Christians can be friends of God today, at this very moment, even when it takes years and years and years to build friendship with anyone else. Let it be that our weakness shines forth in the world to show forth the power of Christ. Let it be today that friendship with Jesus drives the mission of the church forward and ever forward. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.